Good morning, and I'd like to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're going to be looking at the first 13 verses uh, in Luke 11. As you turn there, I want to take a moment uh, and to do just what that song that we sang uh, encourages us to do, and that's to go to the Lord and ask Him to speak to us through His Word this morning. So let's, let's go to Him and let's ask Him for His help this morning. Father, you are good, and you are sovereign over all things. And Lord, you're not a God who created this world and wound it up uh, and just let go and, and let it spin and, and whatever may come of it comes of it. But Father, you are a God who is close to us. Father, indeed, you're a God who speaks to us. You speak to us through your word. Father, what a privilege it is to gather together this morning unlock many of our brothers and sisters all around the world to gather together in this room where we're comfortable and we're safe and to open up your word and to see what it has to say to us. Father, I I pray that we would not take this next half hour lightly, but Father, that we would understand what it is that is taking place, that it is the Lord, the sovereign God of the universe who created all things, including us, speaking to us telling us what it is we are to believe and telling it us telling us what it is we are to do father what a privilege it is that you give us as we'll see in the text this morning to to come to you and to to speak back to you through prayer and that you hear us and that you answer us father it is a privilege to be able to boldly approach the throne of grace and to ask you for things and so father we want to do that this morning father we lift up the many and uh, our congregation who aren't here this morning because they're sick, they're in the hospital. Father, we especially think of Mr. Bill Thompson right now as he's in the hospital. Father, I pray for your mercy and for your grace on him. Lord, I pray that the doctors would be able to figure out exactly what's going on inside his body and, Father, that, that you would heal him. Uh, Lord, we pray for your mercy and for your grace on his family. For Miss Lil, Father, I know she's tired and, and being in the hospital for a long stay is... It makes you weary, and Lord, I pray that you would give her strength and grace this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help Mr. Bill to be able to allow, uh, allow him to come home soon. Father, we pray for Pastor Richard this morning. We pray uh, for the search committee. Is there a way interviewing a candidate for our pastoral uh, position here? Father, we pray that you would give them wisdom, give them grace. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that your will would be done uh, in that situation. Father, whatever your will is. Lord, we pray that you would keep our team safe. And Father, Father we pray that you would uh, uh, allow that time this morning to be productive. Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that you would soften our hearts, uh, that you would still our minds and help us to focus in on you and, and what you have to say to us this morning. We pray these things through the blood of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 13 Uh, What I want to do this morning is begin by reading the text, and then uh, we're going to jump in and see what it has to say to us this morning. So if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me. Uh, This is God's holy and inspired and inerrant word that we will be reading this morning. So out of reverence for for the word of God, let's stand and, and see what it has to say this morning. Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this, 
Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For another friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are are with me in bed and I cannot get, uh, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord this morning. You may be seated. It would be an interesting discussion for us to sit down and to ask ourselves this question. What do you think our church, here at Bloomfield Baptist Church, what do you think we need the most? That would be, it's a rhetorical question this morning, don't shout out. <clears throat> but that would be, that's an interesting question, isn't it? In, in my three years here, the church has been through quite a bit of transition. <laughs> we've, uh, we've gone through a lot of things. We've, we've had transition in memberships. We've had transition in leadership. Uh, this church has been established for a really long time. Uh, 1791, I think, almost as old as our country is, right? But, but today, right now, what do you think that it is that our church needs the most? There will be all kinds of answers to that question, all kinds of answers. Uh, maybe we need to pay off our building debt, right? We've got a, a debt that we accrued for, for building onto our building and meeting our physical needs here, and uh, until we're out from underneath that, you know, in a little bit, which, by the way, is going really well, but until we're out from underneath that, it ties up our resources and tie, ties up kind of what we can do as far as missions and different things in the world. I think, I think that's one of the needs that we have as a church. Perhaps it's uh, to hire another associate pastor, right, to fill our vacant uh, ministry position here. I think that's a need. <laughs> I, it, surely, you know, there's a lot of work to be done here. There's a lot of ministry to be done here. And, and I think that, you know, that, that's, that's a legitimate thing to say. Perhaps it's for uh, another Sunday school class that caters to this particular age group or another Bible study that, that caters to this particular uh, sector of life. I'm all about Bible studies. I'm all about Sunday school classes. You guys know that. And I think the, the more that we can get God's Word and the more that we can gather together in smaller groups and open up the Bible and study His Word, the better. So yeah, I think that would be great. But is that our greatest need? There's all kinds of things that we could talk about this morning. Things that we need to do as a church. Things that, things that we could do. Right? And big dreams and all of these aspirations that we as a church ought to have. But what is our greatest need? What, what is the one thing that we can do that would fuel all of those other good things that we could do as a church? 
I want to submit to you this morning, and I think God's word submits to us this morning, that the greatest need that we as a church have today, in fact, this is, shouldn't be surprising, I, I think it's the greatest need that the church across the ages has, is that God's children would get on their knees before the Lord and go to him in prayer. That's exactly what we see in our text this morning. And, and what I want to do, I want to break this passage down into three uh, short parts and see what it has to say to us this morning and, and see that, that we really do, we have the privilege and we have the need of prayer. But, but much more than just a privilege and a need, uh, we have a God who is sovereign over all things. That when we pray to Him, He delights to hear the prayers of His children and He delights to answer those prayers according to His good will. We don't pray to a God who has His hands tied by anything. We, we don't go before God and say, Lord, you know, I want to ask You of these things or I, I want to bring these requests before You. I want to I pray for Mr. Bill or I want to pray for Pastor or I want to pray for whatever it is. And God sits there in the heavens saying, that, that's, that would be great. I agree. But what, what do you want me to do about it? No, we, we have a God who is sovereign over all things and that delights to hear those prayers and He delights to answer them. And we'll see that this morning in our text. So, so let's jump into Luke chapter 11 here. Starting there in verse 1, uh, you'll see, <clears throat> uh, as is really, really common in the life and ministry of Jesus, this chapter opens with Jesus having separated himself off for the purpose of prayer. See it there in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. I tried to count this week how many times, uh, just in passing, uh, the gospel writers mention that Jesus separates himself off to pray. And <clears throat> I lost count really quickly. I, I realized this was just going to take way too much time. Right? It's a lot. <laughs> It's a lot. Prayer was an obvious priority in the life of our Savior. We could spend an entire morning just talking about that, right? But isn't it interesting that, that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, it, it preexistent from eternity past, made it a priority in his life and ministry to pull away from everything and to go before his heavenly Father and to pray. I think that teaches us something. It teaches us something about the priority and about the importance of prayer. It, it teaches us something about what we ought to be spending our time doing. <laughs> Perhaps the most important and probably uh, the most famous uh, passage where Jesus separates himself off to pray is, is actually uh, right before he is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He, he pulls himself away. His disciples are with him. But he walks on a little bit and he finds a place there where he gets on his knees and he cries out to God about what's about to take place. And uh, pr prayer is an obvious priority in the life of Jesus. So much so that his disciples notice it. Right? So Jesus is away in this certain place and he's praying. And when he's finished, you can just imagine he's walking back to the group of disciples. His disciples know exactly what it is he's been doing. Right? He had not just been twiddling his thumbs. They, they know. They've probably heard him, right, from a distance, uh, shouting out to God his Father. And they say... Lord, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples. See, his disciples realized that prayer was a priority in the life of Christ. And, and being his disciples, being his followers, they wanted to know how to do that as well. So I think they ask a very good question here. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. Right? 
whichever disciple it was that asked that question, that was a good question, right? Teach us to pray. And the, the, last, or the rest of this passage this morning uh, is Jesus doing just that. He's, he's teaching his disciples how and what and the result of their prayer. So that's going to be the structure of our sermon this morning. So you see there, point one in your notes. Jesus teaches us what to pray. Jesus teaches us what to pray. You see there in verse two, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this, right? Whenever it is that you pray, and I think the, uh, the mindset, the context in that term, when you pray is, that it should be often. <laughs> it, it shouldn't be once a month or once a year or even once a week, uh, maybe even once a day. But whenever you pray, say this. Okay? And so Jesus is about to teach them exactly what it is they are to pray. And the verses that follow uh, it gives us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is a short version of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, I believe it's Matthew chapter 6, is much longer and much more detailed and Uh, A couple of years ago, we preached a sermon on that. So uh, if you wanted to kind of refresh yourself maybe this afternoon, that would be a great thing. Go and listen to that sermon. Uh, But here in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, uh, it's a lot shorter, right? It's It's a lot shorter, but it's interesting that the structure is exactly the same. Okay, and that ought to answer a question to us. When when Jesus says, whenever you pray, say this, what is it that Jesus is saying there? Is it saying whenever you pray, you need to say these exact words? Well, <clears throat> maybe. I think that's a great thing to do. I think, I think repeating the Lord's Prayer is a great thing to do. It's something that we ought to do in our private devotion lives. It's something that, that we ought to do corporately as a church together. Just say the Lord's pray the Lord's Prayer to each other. But much more than that, I think what Jesus is doing here is he's giving us a structure uh, to our prayers. He's teaching us generally what it is that we are to pray. In verse 2 there, we, we notice that the first thing, the second part of verse 2, we notice that the first thing is that our prayers begin with humble praise and submission to God our Father. He says, Father. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's the Christian's uh, divine uh, blood-bought privilege to go before God and to pray. Not just anybody can go to God and call him father. But, but we are his children. And we have been bought by the blood of Christ uh, if you have faith in Christ. And so uh, because of that, because of what Jesus accomplished for us, we can boldly approach the God of the universe and call him father. Because we are his children. It says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Yeah, I, I think it's significant this morning that, that Jesus, teaching his disciples and teaching us how to pray, he begins, he begins with humble submission to the Lord, to God our Father, before he ever says anything else. He, he brings humble submission and praise to God. Brothers and sisters, our prayers ought to begin with God. Your prayers and my prayers are not ultimately about us. See, I think sometimes we can have this misgiving about prayer that it's this opportunity that we have to come and to just get whatever we want out of God. Kind of like a daughter or a son would do to their father. I remember one time 
after church, my friends were going out to eat, and I went up to my dad. I didn't have a job yet, and I said, Dad, I want to go with my friends to, to go out to eat. It's summertime. We didn't have school the next day. He said, that's fine. And I said, can I have 10 bucks? He's like, what do I look like, an ATM? Get a job, <laughs> right? You know, <clears throat> said, the privilege that I had to approach my father is not just to get what I want out of him. Our prayers, our worship does not begin with us. And if we begin our prayers with us, if we begin our worship with us, then we run into serious, serious problems. We run into serious problems. It's a popular thing. One of the most famous pastors in the entire country uh, just stood up on his stage and talked about how worship is not about God, it's ultimately about you. Guys, that is a lie. Our prayer, our worship is about God. It's not about us. Right, so Jesus begins his prayers, uh, begins his prayer, teaching his disciples how to pray with this, uh, with this petition to God. Hallowed be your name. Your name is above every name. We praise God for who he is, acknowledging that our heavenly father is not just some heavenly piggy bank that we can just make withdrawals whenever we want to. That's not how we should treat God. It's not how we should approach God. We, we should approach Him as He is. He is the name above all names. He is the sovereign creator of the universe. And He owns uh, and He rules everything, including you and me. And so when we approach God in prayer, we should keep that in mind. That should be first. Secondly, notice that Jesus prays the prayers, uh, the, the priorities of the Father first. He says, your kingdom come, right? We think of uh, Matthew's version. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, what Jesus is teaching us here, before we even get to our own request, we go to God and we say, Father, let your will be done first. We, hu- we, we humbly submit ourselves to the will of the Father and we ask Him, we ask Him that He would take our wills and our requests that are going to follow and to bring them in line with, and, and to bring them in submission to the sovereign God of the universe and His will, and what He wants to be done. Now, after that, we begin, our prayers begin with the priorities, and with worship, and with admiration, with submission to our Heavenly Father. And then after that, something extraordinary. We have the privilege to bring our requests to God. We have a privilege to bring our request to God. And there's a couple of different things here that Jesus teaches us to pray in, in our requests. The first thing, give us each day our daily bread. Right? Give us what we need today. It reminds us of the proverb, Lord, don't give me too much because I might become puffed up and arrogant and think that I had something to do with it. You know, Lord, don't let me starve because if you do that, then, then I might be tempted to steal and, and sin against you. Right, just give me what I need for today. Give us each day our daily bread. So Jesus teaches us to pray for our needs. Whatever, your, whatever practical need it might be that you have in your life. Right? <clears throat> give us each day our daily bread. Don't give me too much. Don't give me not enough. Give me exactly what I need. Give me exactly what I need. The next thing that Jesus teaches us to pray is he teaches us to ask for forgiveness of sin. He teaches us to ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Right? So, prayer for your daily needs. 
prayer for forgiveness of sin. And then thirdly, he teaches us to go to God and to ask him to, to protect us from temptation, to protect us from sin. Lead us not into temptation. Now those are three things. I don't know how many of you guys have ever sat down uh, to pray for anyone in the church. You know, perhaps uh, you sat down to pray for Pastor Richard or something like that. Or pray for a family member, pray for your children, and you just don't quite know what to pray for them. Well, there are three things right there that at any given moment of any given day that any of us could pray for anyone in the world, right? Daily provisions, forgiveness of sin, and protection against temptation. Those are three good general things for us to pray. Requests that we ought to make a part of every single one of our prayers that we pray. So Jesus teaches us here what it is that we are to pray. Well, secondly, Jesus teaches us, point number two in your notes, not only does he teach us what to pray, but he teaches us how God answers our prayers. He teaches us how God answers our prayers. And he does this, which is common to him, he, he does this by teaching through parable. This is a very short parable. It's a parable that I'm sure every single one of us are familiar with, but it's a parable that is often misunderstood, surprisingly. Even though it's short and even though it's simple, uh, a lot of times it's misunderstood and misapplied. Right? <clears throat> so let's read through the parable and look what, see what it has to say. He says, And it says to them, and he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot, and give, cannot get up and give you anything. All of that that I just read was one sentence. <laughs> and it sounded a lot longer, but this is important, right? This is one sentence that, that Jesus says. And it's important to realize what kind of sentence it is. If you look there at the end of verse 7, where the parable ends, that everything there was a question. <laughs> it was a question. Jesus is asking a question, a rhetorical question to his disciples. Right? And I think sometimes we forget that that, that whole parable is a question. Right? The whole thing is, is one sentence. It's one question. And we get lost in all of the details of the story, all the small details of the story that are actually quite humorous, and we fail to see kind of broader that, that Jesus is asking a question. We'll see why that's important in just a second, okay? Um, <clears throat> so, Jesus uh, gives this parable about this man. Uh, he lives in <clears throat> some town somewhere, uh, and he has a friend uh, that comes to him at midnight, right? So it's the middle of the night, and he hears a knock, maybe, on his door, Okay? He hears a knock on his door, and his neighbor is saying, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Lend me three loaves of bread, because another friend of mine has come from out of town, and he's, he's arrived on this long journey, and I don't have anything to set before him. Now, to understand the significance of what's going on here, I think we need to understand a little bit about the historical context of Jesus' day. You see, one of the main priorities in Jesus' day was hospitality. Okay? Uh, inns uh, and hotel-type situations, they were few and far between. Uh, and the ones that did exist, a lot of times, uh, they could be quite dangerous uh, to stay in. 
they could be robbers there or those kinds of things. Uh, <clears throat> so a lot of people, uh, when they traveled from town to town on foot or on uh, horseback or camelback or however it was that they traveled, right, they would oftentimes stay in people's homes uh, who lived just in that town. So it's kind of strange to us. It's a little bit foreign to us. We, if we were at home at midnight, we heard a knock on our door, and it was somebody who was traveling uh, to another town saying, hey, I don't have anywhere to stay. Can I stay here for the night? You'd think, get away from here. You know, I don't know who you are, right? Don't, don't come into my house. But in Jesus' day, not only was that common, that was proper, okay? So this friend has had a guest arrived. He, he's had this person arrived. He's on a long journey, and, and uh, this friend has, has nothing to give him to eat. He's got no breakfast for the morning when they wake up. And so there's a need here, right? And so that guy gets an idea. That neighbor, he gets an idea, and he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go over to my next-door neighbor's. I'm going to knock on his door, and I'm going to get what I need from him. I'm going to make a request of him of something that I need, and I know that he'll give me what I want or what I need. Okay, so he goes, and he knocks on the door, and he says, hey, give me three loaves of bread. Now, the response of the neighbor is, is kind of funny. He says, go away, <laughs> right? He says, no, uh, don't bother me. Don't make trouble. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. And that day, a home was not like our home where you could take kids and put them in their own room in their own nursery and shut the door uh, and turn on a sound machine so they can't hear what's going on uh, in the rest of the house. Uh, oftentimes, it was you know, maybe a, a 10 foot by 10 foot or a 12 foot by 12 foot house, one room. And they had cots or mats, and they would roll those out <laughs> into the main room, and everybody, the entire family, would go to sleep right there uh, in the main room. So uh, this man is in the same room, and this neighbor knows. There, there's something to this, by the way, and we'll get to this in a second, but this neighbor knows that if he goes to his neighbor and he knocks on his door and he makes this request, he's bringing trouble. <laughs> this is not... Uh, this is a rude thing to do. He's going to wake his neighbor up, but not only that, he's going to wake his kids up. Any of you guys with small kids know that's, that's fighting words right there, right? We've got two small girls at home, and when we finally get them in bed, you know, if something wakes them up, we're like, what are you doing? You know, shh. And so, because they're so hard to get to go to sleep, right? <clears throat> but this neighbor knows, you know, I'm going to wake his family up, but I need this bread. I, 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 I have this need. I can't, and he says, go away, I can't give you anything. Well, verse 8, we see the response uh, here of the neighbor. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. You see, Jesus is comparing, he's, he's asking this rhetorical question of his disciples. Put yourself in the shoes of the man uh, who is having your door knocked on at midnight, right? You have a friend. Imagine this. You have a friend that comes by who has a need. And by the way, you've probably told that friend before, anytime you ever need anything, just call me, right? We don't really mean that when we say it because when it actually happens, we're like, what are you doing, right? <clears throat> but you say, you say to this friend, anytime you ever need anything, you just call me. It doesn't matter. You, you call me and I'll do what I can for you, right? And, and at midnight, your telephone rings. <laughs> and it's your friend and you're thinking, what in the world are you, why are you calling me at midnight, right? Well, he has a need, right? And, and Jesus says, just like the disciples here, just like this, this man, just like this neighbor, he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend. 
Yet because of, because of this man's, this word is impudence. The ESV translates its impudence. Most, uh, and this is, this is where we kind of get messed up on this parable. Most translations translate this word, which by the way, this is the only time it happens in the entire Bible. It's the only time this word is ever used. Most translations translate this word uh, persistence. Most of your translations there probably translate it persistence. Uh, ESV says impudence. Uh, there's a couple more uh, that translate it shamelessness. <clears throat> persistence is probably, well, I won't say probably, it's not the best translation of the word. All right, so a lot of times this parable is, is taken and, and you hear this parable uh, taught and preached and the guy gets up because his neighbor keeps knocking. He keeps knocking and he keeps knocking. He's not going to let this guy go back to sleep until he gets what he needs. And so we take this parable and we apply it to say, well, we just need to keep praying. Right? Just keep praying the same thing over and over and over again until God gives, it, gives you whatever it is uh, that you ask of him. That, that's, that's not what Jesus is teaching here. That word is not best translated uh, persistence. That word is probably best translated shameless or impudence. Right? Without regard to social convention. Right? This guy is being rude. He is being rude. He is, he is committing a social faux pas by going and knocking on this man's door at midnight. But he has a need. He has a need and he's going to ask uh, this, this neighbor for this need. Right? And, and, and Jesus uses this to teach us to say, if you, if you would get up out of your bed in the middle of the night and give your neighbor what he needs, right, even because he's being rude to you, if you would do that for your neighbor, how much more would a good God who loves you and never sleeps delight to answer and give you what you need? That's what Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is teaching us how God answers our prayers. How does God answer our prayers? He delights in answering our prayers. He delights when we come to him and ask him for things and, and go to him and, and ask him for our needs. Look there in verse 9. This is exactly what Jesus, Jesus follows up this parable by teaching us. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. How does God answer your prayers? He doesn't just shove you off. He delights to give you what you need. He delights to answer your prayers and my prayers according to His good will. And if you and I would help out a friend who is being annoying to us and, and being rude to us and will give them what they need just to get them to be quiet, how much more would a good God who loves you and delights to hear the prayers of his people answer his children when they ask him for things. I think that's the point of this parable. I think it's pretty clear. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. I think we need to be careful when applying this parable to the character of God. Okay? A lot of times we can look at this parable and we can compare God to this neighbor, Right? And we can think that, well, God is, is just some God who is annoyed by his children, who, who is annoyed by the prayers of his kids, and sometimes he'll, he'll just give them what they want just to get them to be quiet, 
right? That, that's not what Jesus is teaching. That's not the God that, uh, that we delight in. And, and I don't think that, that that application of this parable to the character of God is true. That sinful offer neighbor would get up in the middle of the night and give his friend what he wants. How much more will God delight to give you what you need and what you want? He delights to answer our prayers. He will answer your prayers according to his good will. That leads us to point three. Jesus teaches us the result of faithful prayer. Jesus teaches us the result of faithful prayer. Kind of along the same lines, he, he gives us another, it's not technically a parable, but there's this illustration here, this comparison. He says, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? You see here that the result of faithful prayer is that it moves our sovereign God into action. Right? There's lots of stuff that we could say here about the balance of God's sovereignty and his control over all things and, and man's responsibility to, to bring their requests uh, to God and, and to make them known. You know, some might say, well, if God is sovereign over the universe, if he's control of everything and he has a plan since before the foundation of the world and he's accomplishing that plan and nothing can thwart the plan of God and those kinds of things, then, then why should we pray? It just seems like God is sovereign and he's going to do what he wants to do. So what, what significance do I have in that whole plan of God? And I, I think that's wrong thinking. I think that's the wrong question. Another side of that horse is uh, we believe that we have uh, so much free will that we can actually change the mind of God. See, you pray because God has this plan and, and that kind of, but he doesn't exactly know how it's all going to work out. And so when you pray, you go before God and, and you can actually change the mind of God through your prayers. And a lot of times they'll point to Moses when he's on Mount Sinai and uh, Genesis, I believe it's 33, 34 in that area, when God is angry. I mean, he is, his anger is white hot against the Israelites because of their sin. And he says, I am going to wipe them out. And Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and says, God, remember your promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Remember those promises. And if, if you wipe out the Israelite, if you wipe out uh, the Jewish people, then, then you're going to be breaking your promise against Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's not like you, God. And the text says, and because of Moses' prayer, the Lord relented. And they'll say, see, God changed his mind. He had a plan, but then Moses spoke up, and God changed his mind. Well, I think that's a misunderstanding of that text as well, and, and we could spend all day talking about that, but there's kind of two sides of this horse. We, we ought not to pray because God's got his plan and he's going to do whatever he wants anyway. Or the other side of the horse is, well, we ought not to pray, or we ought to pray, rather, because we, we, can, we can literally change the mind of God. Well, I think both of those are misunderstandings, and they're, misunderstandings, and they're not thinking biblically about the character of God, and they're certainly not thinking biblically about prayer. But what's the answer to that question? Why should we pray? Well, I think prayer is the means by which... God has chosen to enact his sovereign will in the world. See, God is sovereign. And God has a plan from eternity past to glorify his son. 
And God has a plan specifically for you and for me and for our lives. And the way God accomplishes His sovereign plan, the way that He has chosen to do that, is by means of prayer. It's by means of prayer. It's by means of God's children getting on their knees and asking Him of things and Him answering them according to His will. You see, does prayer really change things? Yes, it does. It doesn't change the mind of God, but it's the means by which God has chosen to move into action and to accomplish His will. So God has allowed us the privilege of being the means by which He accomplishes His will and His purposes in the world. Now, I hope that lands on you to show you the importance of faithful prayer. Your prayers are the means by which God is going to accomplish His will in the world. That's why you should get on your knees and pray. That's an important, important task that you and I have. When I realized this point, (laughs) it drove me to get on my knees and pray for the salvation of my children. You know, I could have just said that God's got, you know, this plan from eternity past, and if, if, if Ella and if Lillian were one day going to trust in him, that's, that's up to the Lord, and I'm just going to leave it up to him. But when I realized that my prayers are the means by which God accomplishes his will, it, it upped my prayer game for my daughters and their salvation. Because <laughs> I pray in faith every day, every night before they go to bed, I pray in faith, Lord, save them one day. Save them at an early age. Keep them from sin. And I realize, as I pray those things, that God delights to hear those prayers, and he delights to answer them according to his will. So so if I can move a sovereign God into action through my prayers, you better believe I'm going to get on my knees and do it. Right? And we ought to do the same. We ought to do the same. We ought to do the same for our family. We ought to do the same for our lost friends and co-workers. We ought to do the same for our church. You never know the effects of your prayer. You never know how your prayers are going to affect and, and, and move God into action to accomplish His perfect will. Now, where do I get all that from, from these verses? Well, I'll show you. I'll show you. Notice here, he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, he says, you know, nobody, you're not, when your children come to you and ask you for something to eat, you're not going to give them something dangerous. If they come to you and they ask you for a piece of bread, you're not going to hand them a poisonous snake. You know that's not right. And you're evil. <laughs> you're depraved. Your child is not going to come to you and ask you for an egg to eat and you hand them a scorpion. Right? You know how to give good gifts. How much more does a sovereign God know how to give good gifts to his children when they ask? And and, and notice what it is that the Father gives down in verse 13. It says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What's all that about? What's all that about? I was talking to a particularly seasoned saint one time in a church that I was in uh, in college. Uh, this lady had been walking with the Lord for many, many years, uh, and she exemplified the life of faithful prayer. I, I mean, she, she was a prayer warrior, <laughs> right? 
And I went to her and I asked her one time to give me just some pointers on, on what it is, you know, how to pray and, and, and just to give her, get some, to try to get some wisdom about her prayer life. And specifically, I wanted to know how her prayer life had changed over the years. She told me that the more she communicated with God through prayer, the more that she found that her desires were falling in line with the desires of God found in the Bible. Right? She, she would go to God early on in her prayer life, and she would ask God for anything, you know. But the more that she prayed and the more that she got to know God, the more she found that her prayers started falling in line with the Scripture. She said that at that time in her life, her greatest desire in her prayer life was to see God accomplish His perfect will, whatever that looked like. (laughs) Whatever that looked like. See, prayer is not so much about getting what we want out of God. It's about the Holy Spirit changing our hearts to give us the right attitude towards God and His will. See, when we pray, we see something happen. We see something change. God answers those prayers, and and He delights to hear those prayers and answer them. And, And that can change the way things are in the world. But we see, too, that we change. What is that? Well, I think it's as we grow closer to God and we, we become more intimate with Him and we, we get to know Him and His character more, we, we want to see our desires and our will lining up with the will of God. And that's exactly what God does. See, I think that corrects a misunderstanding that we have for prayer. How many of you guys have ever said, be careful what you pray for, <laughs> you know, because God might answer it, right? As if God is waiting behind a corner to trap you or to trick you, Right? If I come to you and I ask you, hey, would you like to, you know, work with our children in children's ministry by teaching a class? And your response is, well, let me pray about it, right? Which is code for, no, I don't really don't want to, but I'm going to spiritualize this and make sure, you know, I cover my bases. So, you know, instead of telling you no, I'm going to say I'm going to go pray about it, right? I'm going to be careful what I pray for, though, because if I, if I pray this, then God might answer my prayer and actually make me do something I don't want to do. That would be God handing you a scorpion. And God doesn't do that, right? We don't have to be careful what we pray for because God is going to trick us or make us do something we don't want. That's not what God's all about. When we pray, the Lord brings our desires in line with His. And He accomplishes His purpose through our lives and through the lives of the people that we're around. That's, that's what prayer accomplishes. God doesn't throw you curveballs. He changes your heart a lot of times, <laughs> And he brings your heart in line with his. Well, just very, very quickly, I want to I take some things that this lady that I talked to that I mentioned before, her name was Doc. I want to take some of the things that, that Doc gave me and, and just conclude by giving you some practical pointers on prayer. And this, this is absolutely ripped off from a, a sweet lady uh, who's probably in her 80s, who has been praying her entire life. She lives in Jackson, Tennessee. I just ripped this off from her, and I'm going to give it to you because I think it's good. Okay? So first, <clears throat> plan to pray. Plan to pray. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Right? And we can think rightly about prayer and have good theology in place, but if the rubber doesn't meet the road, we are just a clanging gong. <laughs> right? We need to plan to pray. A wise man who is sitting in this room once told me, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I'm going to adapt that and say, 
if you fail to plan to pray, you're going to fail to pray. It's actually really hard to say. You should be impressed by that. If you fail to plan to pray, you're going to fail to pray. So you need to plan to pray. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Take time every day to set aside for prayer. It's following the model of exactly what Jesus did here in verse 1. He separated himself off and he prayed. Plan to pray. Two, pray with an open Bible. Read a passage of Scripture and then pray what you just read. Practically, what this is going to do, it's going to help you from mental drift, right? How many times have you sat down to pray and then you start thinking about the Kentucky ball game last night? Ooh, why did it? Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm praying right now, right? You, you, you have this mental drift. When you pray through the Scripture, it does a couple things. One, it protects you from that, right? keeps you focused on what it is that you're praying. Two, I talked about bringing our will in line with God's will. Well, there's no clearer explanation of God's will than what's found on the pages of Scripture. So it can form and it can shape our prayers in a way that are very effective. So pray with an open Bible. Three, listen to the prayers of seasoned saints and ask them to help you to learn how to pray. Right? Listen to the prayers of seasoned saints and ask them uh, to learn to help you. This is a basic part of Christian discipleship. Right? The Christian life, you've heard the old slogan, the Christian life is as much caught as it is taught, right? We need godly examples to show us what it is uh, to look, what, what disciplined Christian faithful life looks like. Well, that's, that's true of prayer as well. Uh, we will pray. Actually, if I ask some of you guys to pray, uh, you would pray probably very similarly to your parents if you had parents who were believers because your parents just kind of automatically influence you in this way, right? So listen to the prayers of seasoned saints and ask them to help you to learn how to pray. Lastly, keep a prayer list. Keep a prayer list. This will help you uh, to remember how you can pray for people specifically, but over time, what it does is it becomes a record of God's faithfulness to you. Okay, prayer list can be a very, very neat thing. So keep a prayer list not only... Uh, not only to help you to remember what to pray for people, but also because over time, as you start flipping back through those pages and looking at those prayer requests and looking at the way and remembering the way that the Lord answered those things, it will lead you to worship. And it will prove to you that God delights to hear your prayers and he delights to answer them according to his goodwill. And it will become a record of God's faithfulness. So keep a prayer list. Brothers and sisters, it is a privilege to go before our God and to pray and to ask him for things. So we just need to do it. (laughs) And when we do it, we can be confident that the Lord hears our prayers and that he will answer when we call on him. Let's go to him and pray. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you uh, for the truths that we find in it. Lord, we, we thank you that you are a God who loves to hear our prayers and who loves to, to act on those prayers. And Lord, I pray Father, that that you would help us to faithfully seek you in all things. Father, I pray that we would think rightly about prayer, but Father, that we would be faithful to practice prayer. Lord, that it would strengthen our faith and that it would strengthen our trust in you. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.